Well, thank you, Jerry, for uh, reading our scripture this morning, and uh, I hope that uh, all of you got either a copy of the notes as you came in today, or at least you've got uh, this little insert in your bulletin this morning. I hope you'll pull it out because this can kind of be a guide for you as we work our way through these uh, verses of Scripture that uh, we just heard read from the Word of God. How many of you at the beginning of the new year have ever turned on the television set and watched uh, the Tournament of Roses parade? I'm just curious. At some point in your lifetime. Most everyone in here has seen the the Rose Bowl Parade. Perhaps you've heard the story of the uh, year that the parade was going on and all of a sudden the television cameras just kind of stopped because there was this float which came grinding to a halt and because it ground to a halt, the entire parade stopped. Now, the irony of this story is that happened to be the Standard Oil Company float. And they had plenty of petrol or plenty of fuel. But I think that this story is really a parable of at least my life. Because as we begin the new year, and this is a new year, right? This is 2016. We begin the year thinking that we're going to complete the parade, that we're going to make it all the way to the end. And we've got all of this fuel that has filled our tank. And we've got all of this energy and this expectation, this excitement of what the year is going to be like. But then as the year unfolds, is your life like mine? Do you ever get low on fuel in your tank? Is your life like that? Do you ever get to the edge where you're just about out of gas and you wonder whether or not you're going to complete the parade this year or not? I think all of our lives are like that. And so this morning, I invite you to look at this passage of Scripture, because in these six verses which we're going to be looking at, you only heard two read, but we're going to look at six, I think we have three thoughts from the Apostle Paul which will help us keep spiritual fuel in our tank this year as we seek to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first truth that we see in this passage of Scripture is that God calls on us to praise Him regularly. Now, please notice the context of this passage. Just look back up the page at the verses at the end of chapter 11, those verses just before the two verses which Jerry just read for us. And I want you to notice what Paul is doing at the end of chapter 11 in the book of Romans. He's pausing to praise God for his incredible mercy and grace in his life. That's what Paul's doing. Now, you need to understand something about the book of Romans. When you transition from chapter 11 to chapter 12, things change. One Bible scholar says that chapters 1 through 11 in the book of Romans is in the indicative It describes what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. His saving plan, His sovereign plan, His plan of mercy and grace and salvation for us. And then when we get to chapter 12, it becomes the imperative. Now we're told not what God has done for us in Christ, 
But now he's going to tell us what we should be doing for God. But as he makes this transition in this book, Paul pauses to praise God for his incredible mercy and grace. And that's really what chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Romans is all about. It's, about God, it's a story of God's mercy, his saving grace in your life and mine. And if you're here this morning and you're breathing, and I think everybody's breathing in here that I can see, if you're sitting here this morning, or if you're standing like I am, then we are here because of God's mercy and his incredible grace. You wouldn't be breathing this morning if it weren't for God's mercy and grace in your life. You're sitting here today because of his mercy. The Bible tells us it's of the Lord's mercy that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. Everything that we have in life, our health, our ability to see everything we owe to him because of his mercy and his grace. And so we've got a lot to thank God for this morning. And Paul pauses to praise God for his mercy here at the end of chapter 11. Now, if I did the math right, then in chapters 9 through 11 in the book of Romans, the word mercy is mentioned nine times. It's mentioned four times in verses uh, 32 through, pardon me, verses 30 through 32. Notice what Paul says in verse 32 of this chapter. He says, for God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. And he's talking about Jews and Gentiles here. He's talking about all people. He's consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. And so here's this theme of mercy. Now, the immediate context of these verses is the problem of Israel, the dilemma of Israel. And if you know anything about Romans 9 through 11, he's been talking about the nation of Israel in these, in these chapters. And he's been struggling with the dilemma of what is their part or their, their place in God's plan of salvation. Are they going to be benefactors of God's incredible mercy and grace? That's the immediate context here in this passage of Scripture. But to apply this in a personal way, and what I want you to see this morning is the big picture and bottom line is that he's talking about God's mercy, which is available not only to Israel in his sovereign plan, but to every one of us. And that's the theme of the book of Romans. Now, let's hit the pause button for just a moment. What was the major holiday which just took place on December 25th? This is audience participation time, okay? (laughs) What did we just finish? Thank you. We just finished Christmas. Now, what is Christmas all about? Christmas is all about celebrating God's incredible mercy. The theme of Romans 11 here, the theme of these verses, it's all about celebrating God's incredible mercy and grace. 
But you know what? It took you for a minute. It took you a minute to remember what happened on December 25th. It's almost like a distant memory now, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to believe that December 25th was just about 15 or 16 days ago, if I did the math right. It wasn't that long ago, but, but it's true, isn't it? You get into the new year, and you, you, you start the parade, and you're in your float, and you hit the track running, and life has a way of picking up speed, and we just forget it. We forget about God's incredible mercy and grace. It's like a distant memory. And so I think it's important to pause and praise God. It's important to just hit the pause button this morning. At the beginning of this new year, to have a little interlude now today on January the 10th. We're not that deep into it yet. And remember... God's mercy and God's incredible grace. That's the story of Christmas. And that's what Paul is focusing on here. Now, notice his language. Look at verse 33, the end of verse 33. Oh, the depth. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. To even put this plan in place in the first place and love us enough, care enough about us to send Jesus to die for us so that we could have life. Oh, the depth of the the incredible wisdom, the sovereign wisdom of God to come up with a plan like this. To send his son to die for us. And then notice these, these two, I guess they're adjectives. How unsearchable are his judgments. And how uns- inscrutable, that's the ESV version. I don't know what it is in your Bible. How inscrutable are his ways. And these are two interesting Greek words. The word unsearchable means just that. It means to examine closely and not be able to get to the bottom of it, not to be able to completely search it out. It's the same word used in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, when he talks about the prophets in the Old Testament who searched carefully to investigate and examine this, this salvation that is ours. And here he says that it's unsearchable. It's so incredible that you can't describe it. You can't get to the bottom of it. And it's inscrutable. That word means it's untraceable. The noun means or describes a track. And it describes a track that you can't trace to the end. You can't trace it. You can't, it it's not traceable. It's, it's incomprehensible. His paths are beyond tracing out. I love the way Robertson puts it. The New Testament scholar, he says, some of God's tracks are beyond tracing. His salvation, mercy, cannot be described. You can't fathom it. Now look at verses 35 and 36 in chapter 11. 
or who has given us a gift? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For who's known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Have you ever gotten a gift on Christmas that's been so incredible that you couldn't begin to repay it? It was so special. It was a gift that you always wanted. And and somebody who loved you a lot loved you enough to give you that gift. And the moment you received it, you knew that you, you would never be able to repay it. Look at verses 35 and 36. He's given us a gift that can't be repaid. A few years ago, I read a an incredible story of some students at Azusa Pacific University out on the West Coast in California. That's a long way from New York. I have two daughters that went to Azusa Pacific University. That's a very expensive university to attend. And a couple of those students had accumulated six digits worth of debt. And a benefactor of the school decided that they would pay off that debt And when they brought the students in the room and announced to them that they no longer owed anything to the school, they were speechless because they could never repay that gift. That's what Paul is describing here when he talks about God's saving mercy in our lives. We can't repay it. He saved us, not because of of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his, his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly in Jesus Christ, our Savior. There's no way we can repay God for his saving mercy in our lives. Now, you know something that interests me about the Apostle Paul? Is this isn't the only time that he breaks out in praise to God in the New Testament. This is an incredible doxology. This is a doxology here at the end of Romans 11. But this isn't the first time that Paul ever breaks out in doxology or praise to God. In fact, if you got the notes this morning, just look down at the bottom of page 2. And we've listed a number of other passages there for you where Paul breaks out in praise to God for his saving grace and mercy in his life. 2 Corinthians 1.11, Ephesians 1.3. We've listed them there for you. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 17 for just a moment. And we're going to look at this passage of Scripture again in a few weeks on a communion Sunday. But notice what Paul says here in 1 Timothy 1, verses 15 through 17. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom I am the greatest or the foremost. And then look at verse 16. But I received mercy. But I received mercy. And for this reason, that in me, as the greatest of all sinners, that Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example. And then notice verse 17. He breaks into this doxology. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, 
be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, turn back to Romans 11 for just a moment. And and notice what Paul does here in, in Romans 11, in verse 36. This is a doxology. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. When I was a student at Wheaton College, one of my favorite memories was a chorus that we used to sing. And it was built on this verse of Scripture here in 1 Timothy. It was, it was really a doxology, and it went like this. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, the only wise God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. And you know what I remember about that chorus? Back in the 1970s, back in the dinosaur age, when we still sang choruses like that, the thing I remember is the echo of all of the students in the chapel when we would sing that chorus. And so you'd have some of the students on this side singing it, and then others would join in. Now unto the King eternal, now unto the King eternal. And it became like an echo. And it became this chorus of praise being lifted up to God by all of these students. Praise for his saving mercy and grace in our lives. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's pausing to praise God, the eternal God, to whom and from whom and for whom all things come for his saving grace and mercy. Now, when we praise God regularly like this, it puts fuel, spiritual fuel in our tanks. Because, you know, if your life is anything like like mine, you're going to have some problems this year. And when you get pounded by problems, it's easy to get discouraged. And you're, you're, you, you lose spiritual fuel in your tank. And, and, and you just get depleted. But if you can get back to this place of remembering... What God has done for you in the Lord Jesus Christ, it will bring spiritual energy back into your life. Now, notice the second important truth in this passage of Scripture this morning. The second important truth is in verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember this year to offer yourself to the Lord unconditionally. Remember to pause and praise him regularly. And after you've praised him, if you truly praise him, it should bring you to a place of wanting you to, wanting to offer yourself back to him unconditionally. One of the interesting things that I'm finding in this, this music leaders meeting that we're having at, uh, at our home uh, fairly regularly right now is that we worship the Lord in different ways. 
And so we got some people in the, the living room of the parsonage that love to sing hymns. And then we've got other people that are big fans of, of modern contemporary music. But one of the things that, that, that fascinates me is that we've all had worship moments. And so we've been sharing. And um, I don't want to embarrass her, but Candy's part of that discussion. And uh, she was sharing just the other night about something. I don't remember what the song was, but it was a very emotional experience for you. And John Lavazzo was sharing something. Now, John, as you know, is passionate about hymns. Okay, that's supposed to be humorous. <laughs> actually, I'm, I'm finding out that he, he actually likes hymns. He likes some of the hymns. But he's passionate about contemporary music. And so he had a worship moment here recently where he was worshiping the Lord and it was very emotional. You know, I had a worship moment just this last week. I was listening to some of these hymn discs that somebody gave me. And this, this song, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. And there's one, one little piece to it that goes like, All hail the power of Jesus' name. I can't do it like the choir did it, but I kind of got it. But I was listening to this, and I'm telling you, I just started, I couldn't help it. I just, tears were coming down. I just, it, it was a worship moment for me. Have you ever had a worship moment like that? We all have. Whether it's been in the car or in the quietness of your home, kneeling on your living room rug, I don't know where it happens for you. But when you pause to praise and when you realize all hail the power of Jesus' name. When you realize what Jesus Christ has done for you and you come to that place of worship, then you want to offer yourself to him unconditionally. And that's what Paul's talking about here in verse 1. He makes this transition now from worship to this appeal. I appeal to you, brothers. Therefore, on the basis of the mercies of God, what he's been describing, what he's been saying, what he's been praising, on the basis of his mercy, present yourselves, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, notice the words in this verse of Scripture. I appeal to you. Notice he doesn't command us. He doesn't coerce us. God isn't that kind of God. God wants your worship. He wants my worship. He wants us to be offering ourselves. But God isn't the kind of God that's going to knock down the door of the heart of your life. God wants you to offer that is a heartfelt thanksgiving back to him. And so he says, I plead with you. I appeal to you. I, I beg you. I beseech you. Therefore, brothers, on the basis of God's incredible mercy, to present your bodies because of the mercy of God, 
to present, and that's a technical offering word. In fact, that's the same word used in Luke chapter 2, verse 22, when Jesus was brought by Joseph and Mary, remember? And the Bible says they presented him. That's this word, present. Just as they presented Jesus to be dedicated, so we are to present our lives to the Lord as, a, as an act of spiritual worship. And then notice the word bodies. I've often wondered, why does it use the word bodies as a living sacrifice? I think one of the reasons that word may be there is because when you offer your body, that's something very tangible. That's concrete. That takes it out of the realm of the theoretical and makes it very practical. It's really just a symbol of your whole self. It reminds me of the little girl, and maybe you've heard this story too. The offering plate was passed one day, and, and uh, the offering plate came to her, and she took the offering plate, and she put it out in the middle of the aisle. And then she stepped out, and she stood in the middle of the offering plate. And somebody asked her why she was standing in the middle of the offering plate, and she said, well, I learned in Sunday school this morning that I was supposed to offer myself to God. And so I'm offering myself to God. That's a physical, a physical, tangible, concrete image of what we're talking about here this morning. You see, worship and spiritual worship is more than just singing a song. It's presenting ourselves as living sacrifice, offering ourselves to the Lord because of his incredible saving mercy and grace in our lives. And that's a once and for all uh, act that's worked out in practical ways. And notice he's interested in living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable to him. Now close your eyes for just a moment, please. Yeah, we're about 20, 25 minutes into this sermon, so it's a good time to take a nap, okay? But close your eyes. Close your eyes. Keep your eyes closed. Now, with your eyes closed, just let your mind wander for a minute. It's the beginning of a new year. I'm trying my best to describe God's mercy and grace in our lives. Would you just begin to think of some specific evidences, tangible ways you've experienced his mercy and his his grace in your life just in the first 10 days of this year? Keep your eyes closed. Let your mind reflect on his mercy and his grace for just a minute. It's good to be silent. What's he bringing to your mind? Now open your eyes. You know what the Phillips translation says? The Phillips version of this verse? With eyes wide open. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God. I beg you, my brothers, as an act of spiritual or intelligent worship, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated, and acceptable by him. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. 
So glorify God in your body. Reminds me of another humorous story that I heard many years ago of of a, a wealthy lady who was visiting in Europe. Maybe you've heard this story too. And while she was there, she was shopping. Her husband had given her permission to do that. And she, this is back in the days before uh, the, the, before email and before text messaging, before tweets. And so she sent this telegraph, this telegram back across the ocean to him. And she said, I've discovered a very special piece, piece of jewelry, a bla- bracelet, which is worth $75,000. May I buy it? And he telegrammed back, no, price too high. But the telegraph operator made a mistake. He didn't insert the comma. And so instead of getting the message, no, price too high, she read it and it said, no, price too high. (laughs) And so she bought the bracelet. She came back to the States. Her husband was shocked. He sued the telegraph company, according to one rendition of this story. He was furious. But think about God's mercy for a minute. Think about God's mercy. When you really begin to get at the heart of the message of the book of Romans, when you really begin to understand God's saving grace and mercy in your life, there is no price too high. There's no sacrifice too great. There's nothing that we shouldn't be willing to offer him in response to what he's given to us. And I think that's the message of this passage this morning. Now, just one other quick thought before we look at our final thought today in this passage of Scripture. You know, it's one thing to talk about surrender, and it's another thing to actually surrender. And it's one thing to talk about offering ourselves to God in some heroic way. Yes, Lord, I'll go to Africa. Or yes, Lord, I'll go to the end of the earth. Or yes, Lord, I'll die for you. And it's another thing to present yourself, to offer yourself in a practical way on a daily basis. A lot of times we think of surrender as, and Fred Craddock told this story, of taking a $1,000 bill. Do they make $1,000 bills? Is there such a thing as a... There's no such thing as a $1,000 bill? They're just collectible items? Okay. But let's say they made $1,000 bills. That'd be pretty impressive, wouldn't it? You know, a lot of times we think of surrender or sacrificing our lives like taking a $1,000 bill or a $100 bill and laying it out there and giving it to God. But surrender really is more like God asking us to go to the bank and take that $1,000 and cash it in to quarters and then to spend the rest of our lives giving a quarter here and a quarter there and a quarter there and a 50-cent piece there. It's a lot harder to surrender on a daily basis and to give your life in 25-cent pieces, a nickel and a dime at a time. And especially the older we get, as you get toward the end of life, a lot of times surrender is done on a daily basis. And so that brings us to our third and final thought this morning. Look at verse 2. 
The final thought today is obey him repeatedly on a daily basis. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is for your life. And it's different for all of our lives. Now, notice these words. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. And this is a present tense verb, which means this is, an, is to be an ongoing action on our parts. And literally, there's a negative prefix here in the Greek. He's saying, stop. Stop being fashioned or shaped by the world around you. Now, this is how we work out this act of surrender. Stop being fashioned or shaped by the values and the beliefs of the world around you. Stop it. That tells me that these Roman believers were on the, under the, the, the pressure of conforming to the fashions and the beliefs of the people around them. And so he says, stop it. Stop being conformed and instead be transformed. And this word transformed is the same word from which we get the word for, that we see on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was transfigured before the eyes of the disciples, were to be transformed into the image of Christ instead of being conformed to the values of this world. And how do we do it? Look at verse 2 again. By the renewing of your mind. This becomes very practical now. By the renewing of your mind. And how is our mind renewed? By getting into this book. You won't be renewed this year, unless you're willing to spend time having your mind renewed by God's truth. That's how we're transformed. And this, this word uh, is the word for metamorphosis. You, it's like a caterpillar being metamorphosized or, or transformed into a beautiful butterfly. We're changed into the image of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 18. And incidentally, we don't transform ourselves. You can't make yourself into being more like Jesus. The only way you can be more like Jesus is by offering yourself to him and asking him to do a work in your life. We can only be changed into the image of Christ by the Spirit of the living Christ, by the Holy Spirit, by him doing his work in us as we behold him in his word. That's the process of our minds being renewed and our lives being transformed. And when we do that, we prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God in our lives. And notice it's not a bad and evil will of God. A lot of times you feel like God's just this, this giant killjoy in heaven, you know, wanting to make your life miserable. You have that, that misconception about God. But God's will is not evil. You may think it is or you may feel like it is sometimes, but God's will is actually good. And if you're willing to offer yourself, he'll prove it to you and you'll prove it. You'll test that and you'll discover that. You'll discern that as you seek to live for him. Well, there was a young man in a college dorm one day, and he was wanting to offer himself to the Lord in a new and deeper way. 
but he was having a difficult time doing it. And so as he was pleading with God, he came to a place where he said, you know, I've been told, let God, but I just can't do it. I can't do it. And he was so frustrated. In frustration, he got up and he ran out of his room and he slammed the door. And as he slammed the door, he went down the hallway, got a drink of water. He came back and as he, he, he had put these words, let God, in big letters on his door. And as he looked at the door again, the D had fallen to the ground and it said, let go. And then he thought, he thought, wow, let go. That's it. Let go. Let go. And so my question to you this morning is, what is it in your life that you need to let go of? An attitude, a wrong attitude. You're harboring unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody. Or maybe it's something that you know that God wants you to give up in order to give yourself to him. What is it for you this morning that you need to let go of in order to let God have his way in your life as you give yourself to him again at the beginning of this new year? Our choir is going to come now and sing this beautiful song as we we close our service today. It's a song about surrender. And then after they've sung it, We're going to stand and sing a closing hymn, Living for Jesus. Because living for Jesus is all about living and surrender. And as they come to to sing this song, I want to tell you just one final story. Years ago, I was in Ireland. I was there. I had the fortunate privilege of going there with uh, Leighton Ford associate evangelist with the Billy Graham Association. We were there for a congress on evangelism, and I was struggling to make a decision in my own life. And so we went out for a walk. Dr. Leighton Ford took me out for a walk around this park, and if you've been in Ireland, everything's green, and we're walking around this park. And he said, Randy, I can't tell you what to do, but here's what I would encourage you. To do in the process. Pray, reflect on your situation, and then act. Then act. Pray, reflect, act. Now, I don't know how God's spoken to you here this morning, but what I'm asking you to do, what I'm challenging you to do, is to pray about it. Pray about whatever you've heard today that's stuck in here. Pray, Reflect on it, and then act. That's surrender. Act. Take a step. Act. Present yourself. and Work it out in your own life. Let's listen to the choir, and then we'll close by singing our hymn that Mike's going to come and lead us in. Listen to the words of this song.